two. I have to, uh, I have to tell you, I went through uh, th- this this last week was uh, was spent in much soul searching and prayer and seeking the Lord's will. You know, I, I have to tell you, I-, I can I can so praise God that in all this time the Lord has never failed in directing me when it comes to the messages for the services. Always has. Same case here, I believe, with all my heart. Last Sunday night when we were in John 17 and then we had the video and then the give and take going back and forth, um, it was good, I appreciated it, but I thought, you know something, maybe I'm missing something here. Instead of of going to the video, which there's some good stuff in there, and I would encourage you to go and and see it. Uh, I've told you already what it is uh, there online. But when it comes to getting up here then, I wanted to direct us by God's grace to a renewal of seeking him, learning him. And so in looking at my records and seeing where we have been and what the need is, I believe the Lord has simply directed me back to John, the book of John. Uh, It's been 17 years since I preached through the book of John. I am bringing a fresh approach. I'm not just re-preaching that which I preached 17 years ago, uh, have done a lot of a lot of study, a lot of prayer, and I hope and pray that this is a blessing. We won't be going verse by verse through it all, but most of it we will be going through. I hope that tonight there is a good foundation that is laid out to help you understand why we're coming here and why I believe this is such a need right now. Christ came to die for us. Now, here's the challenge. There are many of us that have heard that time and again, and we wind up missing just some refreshing as far as, boy, praise God, look what he did. Look what has been done for us. So in doing that, I started searching and I, and I came across something in the very first five verses and I thought, Lord, that's it, isn't it? That's it. So I hope and pray that you see it. Let's pray now and we will start getting into this. We're not gonna get far in the book of John. We're just gonna be, we're gonna probably get just a couple of verses. Uh, but there is much, again, to lay down. I'm looking forward to it. I hope and pray it's a blessing to you. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that your spirit would open our eyes like we have prayed so many times. Lord, open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. So your will be done now. Help us to ascertain and, and in a fresh way, 
not only rejoice in what we have, but be reminded of what we must share. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. So I took, I took the, the first chapter, and I knew I wasn't going to get far praying over this. And I started, and would you please go with me to verse 1, John 1. A very familiar passage. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now let me stop right there. We're actually tonight only going to get to the first two verses. But I need to tell you this. In my study, it has been a joy to see and again be reminded of that which can be extrapolated from the original language and, and, and recognize, boy, this is incredible what we have here. But what really got to me was verse 5. Look at verse 5. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. In my regular Bible reading, I'm in the book of Mark, just finishing it up. And it's amazing to time and again read in the Gospels when Christ, I I mean, we're talking about eyewitness accounts. When Christ was in front of these people, he was with the religious rulers. He, he, He was with common men. And there were those that recognized him for who he was, and even some that were religious rulers. We think mainly of Nicodemus, but there were others who hated him. How in the world can you come face to face with God come in the flesh and comprehend it not? Now, that verse in and of itself is fascinating to look at because there are several ways you can take it And I believe that is done on purpose with the wording that we are given by the Holy Spirit. I want to give you, first of all, a little bit of background that maybe you're familiar with. Most likely you are, at least some of it. But it just makes it, it it lays a groundwork that quite honestly, it's like, boy, Lord, thank you. The Gospel of John was penned, of course, by the Apostle John. Many people believe he wrote it in 85 AD. Now, it was the last of the four Gospels, the last. By the time the book of John was circulating around the different churches, the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, were already, had already gone and they, they had been read by so many in the churches. They already heard of the life of Christ there. The first three gospels 
are called the synoptic. You probably know that. The word synoptic means to see together. This means that the first three gospels contain basically the same stories, the same teachings, but told from a different angle. That's why it's fascinating to read Matthew and then Mark and then Luke. Fully inspired, but a different angle. John's gospel is different. We see a side of Christ that others did not touch. Why? Well, let's stop and think about this. First of all, John was part of the inner circle. When you see Christ call these three disciples with him in different places, we think probably mainly when he took them to the, to the Mount of Transfiguration or when he took them while he was praying just before he was arrested. Peter, James, and John. Those are some of the most intimate moments that we see in Scripture. But even with John, it is more intimate. And here's why. Physically speaking, John was the cousin of the Lord by human relation. His mother, Salome, or Salome, and Mary were sisters. You stop and think about it. When they would take pilgrimages from where they were to Jerusalem, guess who traveled with them? Here's little John, and here's Jesus. And they're going year after year. He had known, he had known, Jesus had known John since he was a very little boy. No wonder we read of this. I personally believe this gave it a little bit more of a reason that we would read, and we do read, that Jesus said, speaking of John, <clears throat> he was the apostle, he was the disciple whom Jesus loved. John gave it back as well. In John 1, John paints a picture on purpose of who Jesus is. He calls him the Word of God. Now remember, John now is John the aged. He's looking back. The Holy Spirit is helping him bring back these thoughts. But he is laying a groundwork. You know, we think about how uh, Moses started out in Genesis. Well, here, the same thing, the very same thing. John Butler, one of the commentators that I use, he states that in these few verses, in verses one through five, you see Jesus' relationship. I thought this was neat. He said, you see the relationship to God, the galaxies, and the gospel in those five verses right there. A man by the name of S.D. Gordon, he takes note that if you want to unlock, if you want to get into the book of John, there's three different doors. Here's two of the doors. First of all, there's the back door. John chapter 20, verse 30. 
and many other signs Jesus, or excuse me, John wrote. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, why? This is the key, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. If you read the book, you want to get to Christ. He says, this is going in the back door. This tells you why all this has been written. If you want to go through the front door, you go back to chapter 1, and you go to verse 11. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them he gave to them gave he power, the ability to become the sons of God, even to them once again that believe on his name. So at the back and at the front, John tells very plainly, this is, this is why I'm writing this, and this is the key to gleaning why I brought you these thoughts. To me, the challenge and tragedy, again, of this book for mankind, of the situation, is verse 5. I, you, you stop and think about 1 Corinthians 2, 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, but they, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. That's why what takes place here needs to be guided by the Holy Spirit. Once again, like all of us who have truly trusted Christ, the lady this morning, when she was talking to my wife, they were going in another direction. Bernie directed her back to the Lord. And she saw her need because the Holy Spirit opened her eyes. And there is the key. So John is looking at us and he's saying, listen, I wrote this because the Holy Spirit can take what I have written. These things have I written unto you so that you can believe. Why is it that we see some of the things that we do? There's another person, there's a, 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 another commentator I go to by the name of Mattoon. He, he, came, he brought out several thoughts that I thought were really good. He asked this question, a general question to challenge people. Why is the humanity of Jesus Christ important? In other words, for our salvation, why did it go like this? Why was there that need? Remember that we saw, we, we just saw recently, why it was important for Pilate to do certain things, Herod to do certain things, so that Christ was not set free, but prophecy was fulfilled, and he died on the cross as he did. So, here's some of the thoughts that Mattoon gave. First of all, it makes it possible for the Lord to die, because God doesn't die, but humanity 
does. And a sacrifice must die. Now, take note of this. You can look it up later on and you can look it up now. Hebrews chapter 10, which gives much when it comes to this for the Jews to have their eyes open. Verse 4, Hebrews 10, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. Doesn't happen. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, sacrifice and offering, thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou had no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book that is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Second, it enables the Lord to understand what men go through. And I think this is fascinating because the thing is, is he was tempted in all points like as we are. Hebrews 4, for we not have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points, again, tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Isn't it a joy to be able to go to our Lord and Savior and tell him what we've been through and he remembers? He stops to think about it. He was here yet without sin. He gives us victory over that. Thirdly, it qualifies the Lord to be a mediator that can represent both God and man. And we know this. We, we, you're pro you're, you've probably already thought about it already. 1 Timothy 2.5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man. Who? The man, Christ Jesus. Fourthly, it provides us with an example on how to live a life that is pleasing to God. We get saved. Praise God, we have the Holy Spirit now. How should we then live? We're shown. 1 Peter 2, 21. For even hereunto, uh, hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. And I got to thinking, I got to thinking about this, folks. You know, that, that, again, that's 1 Peter 2.21. You know, what better way really to stop and think, you know, as we're especially going through the Gospels, in seeing how Christ responded. Um, I don't know about you, but there are times I have to ask God for help. Oh, mercy. To help me in my response. You know, it'd almost be embarrassing sometimes. In fact, I think it would be kind of embarrassing if just in telling about how we respond to difficulties out in the world, we wound up being drop-dead honest and saying, you know, I... Here's what I really thought about that guy that cut me off in traffic today. It, it was so funny. I got cut off 
by the second guy, uh, the second time by the same guy, I'm sure of it because I saw his face and he was driving a brand new Lamborghini. And I thought, you know, nothing would please me more right now to have an out of control old 68 Buick just kind of, you know, Oh, now, 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 wait a minute. Don't, 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 don't. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> I struggle. But I, I didn't wish it on him. I didn't wish it. But, you know, even though I've now learned that I'm Scottish, I, there is a little bit of Irish in me. And so I pray like that old Irish Christian. Lord, Show me my enemies. And, and, and Lord, turn their hearts. And Lord, if you can't turn their hearts, would you turn their ankles so I can recognize them by the way they limp? Y'all are, like Dave Bushy used to say, y'all are visiting from heaven. You think I'm just backslidden. I might as well close the service right now because I'm no longer. Okay. Fifthly, the humanity of Christ gave us hope, and it gave value to our lives. It's interesting to note that where Christ is rejected, life is considered cheap. Stop and think about it. There was a time that life was considered so much more precious here in America until we started walking away from the Lord. And next thing you know, where we've got people that are promoting and rejoicing in abortion, et cetera, et cetera. Just kind of sad. Here's another question. Why does it matter that Jesus is God? Well, he's sinless. A sinner can't die for a sinner but the sinless can take the place. It matters also because we can know the truth about God. We can know what the Lord is like. To know Christ, in other words, we're reading the Gospels, and especially when, when we're reading someone who is so precious to the Lord and so loves the Lord like John, in reading them, we can understand, we can see our God because we see his son. In John 14, Philip didn't understand this. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, have I been so long with you, Philip, or with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me, hath seen the Father. So how do you say this? Show us the Father. Let me ask you, in our reading in the Gospels, how much have we taken note reading about Christ, recognizing we are witnessing, hearing, and watching the example of God come in the flesh? What Jesus did is he opened a window. 
we could see him. We could see the heavenly father. God hates sin, but he loves the sinner. Love it. You know, you stop and consider the love that has been so shown. Would you please take your Bibles and go to Ephesians 3? Go to Ephesians chapter 3. I want to show you something. I came across an example, a, 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 a story that has everything to do with this passage right here. Ephesians chapter 3. Look at verse 18. Oh, let's start with verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. Now remember those four words, the breadth and length and depth and height. And to know the love, listen up please, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye may be filled with all the fullness of God. I don't know how this one commentator came across this story, but there's one by the name of James Boyce. He shared a story, a true story, found in the annals of the Napoleonic Wars about the love of God. In Europe, some of Napoleon's soldiers opened a prison that had been used in the Spanish Inquisition. There were many dark dungeons, they, they said, in that prison. But in one of the cells, in one of the cells, they found something particularly interesting. They found the small remains of a prisoner. His flesh and his clothing was long gone. There was one thing that was left, his ankle bone in a chain, in a shackle. But it was something else that they found. It was a message that was carved into the wall that that prisoner could reach to. Using a sharp piece of metal, the prisoner carved in the stone a crude cross inscribed around the cross. Remember, it was from the Spanish Inquisition. Inscribed around the cross were the Spanish words for the four dimensions that are mentioned in Ephesians 3.18. Height, depth, breadth, length. You stop and you consider this. As this man was lying in a prison in chains, Recalling the love that God had for him, he was free. 
And while dying, he was recalling Ephesians 3.18. When it came to the love of Christ, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. Folks, you consider this. Stop and think about this. We, we sometimes wonder, Lord, if we were being tortured, how, how, how would we respond like this? If we knew what to recall, we know that Christ loves us. This man, I can't wait to meet in heaven, thinking that while he was dying, he was rejoicing in the love of God. Having said all that, let's start with John. Look at verse one. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Um, we, we took um, Ari and his wife, Julissa, out to lunch today. I really enjoyed talking to him. One of the things he's fascinated in is what really got me going. Uh, when I was single, I was in my early 20s. I'm by myself. Uh, I, 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 get off the, you know, I get off the job. I'm not pouring the concrete. And uh, so you just start doing different uh, word studies. And he says, that's what's really got him going right now. I thought, praise God, that's great. This right here is fascinating. Now, maybe some of you, maybe some of you have done some of this. I'm sure some of you have. There's three words in the Greek language for word, for word. One refers to the mere articulate sound of the voice. Someone's, uh, the, uh, the book say. Another speaking of that sound as the manifestation of a mental state. But then there's the one that's used by John. It's the word logos. It comes from the ver verb, which means literally to pick out or select, thus to pick words in order to express one's thoughts. We might just then say, all right, it's to speak. But the speaking is special because it's words specifically chosen to give a specific thought. Greek philosophers, in attempting to understand the relationship between God and the universe, spoke of an unknown mediator. This is interesting. They spoke of an unknown mediator between God and the universe. They named that unknown mediator Lagos. John tells them this mediator unknown to them is Christ, the Lord. And he, John, uses the same name so that they could understand that Christ is the Word, the Word of God. Our Lord is the Lagos 
the go-between, the word of God in the sense that he is the total concept of God. Stop and think about it. Deity speaking through the Son of God, not in parts of speech as in a sentence, but in a human life. The Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. When John used the word logos, I'm starting to get excited a little bit about this. this I, I love this. When John used that word, when he used the Greek word that would, he, he used a word that would appeal and be understood by both Jews and Greeks. To the Jews, a word was more than a sound. A word was more than a sound. It did something because it was alive. It was a unit of energy. That's what a word was. It was power. The Hebrew language uses different words sparingly. They have actually in total only about 10,000 words that they use. But then there's the Greeks. Have you ever heard the phrase, the Greeks had a word for it? You know, you've probably heard that before. The Greek language is more precise in trying to give little detail. They have over 200,000 words. That's why the saying, the Greeks had a word for it. The word was something that was concrete. It, it, it stood for an event or a deed, something like that. Question, what happens when God speaks? Think about it. Think about it. The answer is in the event that is done. Genesis 1-3, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. Isaiah 55, 11. Listen to what the Lord said through Isaiah. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper. Think about this. It shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Do you hear what God's concept of the spoken word is. Fascinating. To the Greek people, the word, again, was the mind of God. And it was responsible for the order of the world. The mind of God, think about this. The mind of God, the actual mind of God dwelling within a man. Think about that. That makes him a thinking, rational being. The divine word controls the world and mankind. John was saying this then. The mind of God has come to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, we get used to that. But let's stop and consider this. Revelation 1, 
Listen to verse 8. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Now, just to maybe try to help us along a little bit to realize what just got said. The mind of God is dwelling in us. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. The Holy Spirit is here. God the Son is here. The mind of God. Question, why do we struggle? Why do we fret? Why do we doubt? I ask myself, remember when the Lord said this? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. To help us out a little bit more in this, there's another commentator that I use, John Phillips, great guy. If you don't mind, I want to read what he said about this. The Hebrews left the Greeks far behind when it comes to the eternal verities lying behind the world of time and sense. The Hebrew would argue from the thought to the thinker, from wisdom to God. The Greeks did not go that far. Thus, when John calls Jesus the Word, the Logos, he is referring to him as the thinker, the omniscient genius behind the created universe. That, however, does not exhaust the statement, in the beginning was the Word. We must also look at the verb. The imperfect tense used in the Greek expresses a continuous state, not a completed past. It suggests the idea of absolute supratemporal existence. The Lord Jesus, in other words, was preexistent before the creation of the universe. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. The imperfect tense is used each time. It doesn't come out in the English as well as it does in the Greek. In each case here, it sets before the reader not something past or present or future, but simply this, something ongoing. In other words, he was, he is, and he is to come. There was never a beginning at all. Now, we tend to shut down a little bit when we hit that mental block that has that four-letter word tilt going across our eyes. And it's like, look, I just, you know, I'll just take it at face value now. But there is so much that hinges for the rest of the book in what John has said in the first five Verses. John takes us into the sphere 
of timelessness. The one John calls the word, the word, belongs to a realm where time does not matter. And yet he created time. He created space and he gave us life. Stop and think about that. And then we read this. And the word was God. The absolute essence, he who came here, absolutely, positively, God. I want to give you just one more thing, and then I'll be done. Look at verse 2, and this will go quickly. The same was in the beginning with God. Now, again, this, you know, you take one word, and the word is was. All right? When we think a word, we think, well, he's a has been. No. Stop and consider this. There are two Greek words that are translated was. One of them means to come into being or existence. Now, look. Go back, if you would, please, if you're not there in your Bibles, go back to John chapter 1. Go to John chapter 1 again. There are two Greek words. The one means to come into being or existence. That's the word that translates was in verse 3. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. So in these cases, here came all of a sudden a man sent from God, but he hasn't always existed. In verse 3, there was nothing made that was made. There was something that was created. That's the Greek word. But then in verses 2 and 4, it means to already exist. So the Greek word for verse 2, the same was in the beginning with God. The same already existed with God. Look, if you would, please, at verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Stop and consider this. Truly, in these first few verses, we've heard really everything we need to recognize that because of simple words that to the Greek were important concrete, it was something that was solid, and to the Jew it was something, it was alive. And just this little bit, we've been told, Jesus is God. There's no doubting it. Pure and simple. And the break, the the heartbreak, after recognizing he came, he is life, he created, to go to verse 5 
and to read this. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. You know what? There are billions of people out there when it comes to the light, they don't comprehend it. You know, that's where you can stop. And we're stopping at verse two. But you recognize, Lord, thank you for helping me comprehend this really simple as far as what's trying to be told, but absolute immense. Jesus Christ is indescribable. God come in the flesh. After I, I, I got done with most of this, I, I, told, I told my wife, it's, it's stunning. Because of this church, we were there. I walked, we walked in the synagogue in Capernaum. Christ was there. We walked on the Temple Mount. Christ was there. We were in, this, we were in the large cistern under, underneath Caiaphas' house where they kept Christ before they took him to Pilate. We were in the place where they had Christ locked up before he died on the cross. That's amazing to me. But what I rejoice in is that same Christ, although not bodily, he's here right now. I want to live by that thought. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for so great salvation. Lord, I pray that as we continue to walk with the witness, John, that we will see more what he has been seeking to point out. There's so many places already I anticipate in coming to. Lord, I pray that your spirit would open our eyes and that we would recognize such an indescribable Savior who gave us so great salvation. I pray in Christ's name.